Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elissa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's episode of Houses in Motion features an interview with Frank Gregoire, a Florida-based real estate appraiser. Frank joined Matthew Blake on the show today to discuss residential real estate appraisers, specifically the allegations of undervaluing Black-owned homes. He also shares some insight into the complicated logistics behind training and recruiting issues among appraisers, and what the industry can do to combat this. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Want to give your customers the streamlined mortgage experience they expect? Fannie Mae's digital mortgage solutions are fast, efficient, contactless, and they save paper. Our digital mortgage solutions provide efficiency for you, convenience for your customers, and deliver a great experience at every stage of the mortgage cycle. Own the mortgage experience with Fannie Mae's innovative solutions. Visit FannieMae.com slash go digital. Hello, and welcome to Houses in Motion, part of Housing Wire Daily. My name is Matthew Blake, real estate reporter for Housing Wire. Each week, we try to tease out a major issue in American housing and real estate, no matter how complicated. This week was no different. I interviewed Francois Gregoire, a real estate appraiser in St. Petersburg, Florida. Francois has been an appraiser since 1977. So before we launch into the issues facing appraisers today, Frank and I, he also calls himself Frank, talked about past conflicts he has witnessed when he served on the Florida Real Estate Appraisal Board. We then discussed allegations of racial bias in appraisals and the diminishing professional ranks of U.S. home appraisers. Now, to some of you who are close followers of Housing Wire Media content, these discussion topics could not possibly be more repetitious. We all know the appraisal industry is dogged by racial bias allegations and the perhaps related problem of appraisers being old white men who can't recruit and retain enough new people. But Frank pressed beyond what you may already know. We discussed how appraisers need the National Association of Realtors as an ally in Washington. We fruitlessly speculated on why Fannie Mae says it is serious about the issue of bias and appraisals, but will we not release their appraisal report data. And Frank discussed real steps taken to recruit more appraisers and obstacles to those steps. I hope you found this episode informative and thought-provoking. You can contact me at mblake at housingwire.com. Frank Gregoire, welcome to Houses in Motion. Thanks, Matt. Um, yes, first off, uh, even though my name is Francois Gregoire, I don't speak any French at all. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a second generation real estate broker and real estate appraiser. Uh, I originally was licensed in real estate in 1976. I went to go work for my father, who was a real estate broker. Um, I started doing real estate appraisals in 1977. Um, again, that was to assist my father. Um, he had 
been an appraiser for a number of years. We expanded the, the office to include, uh, at one time we employed seven appraisers uh, at the end of 1989-1990. I became a state certified residential appraiser. In 2000, the governor of Florida appointed me to the Florida Real Estate Appraisal Board, which is the regulatory agency for real estate appraisers in the state where we grant, deny, suspend, and revoke licenses, determine appraiser qualifications, and so on. And uh, I served uh, on the Real Estate Appraisal Board until 2008. Uh, during that time, I remained active with my local association of realtors, my state association of realtors, and with the National Association of Realtors. I left the Appraisal Board in 2008, continued with my uh, a real estate appraisal company. I became a one-man office, started working out of my residence. I continue to do that. Um, my business has, has changed uh, uh, and drifted away from mortgage appraisal work towards litigation, litigation consulting. And that's where I am today. Uh, in 2022, I'm going to chair the National Association of Realtors Real Property Valuation Committee, which is the successor to uh, NAR's appraisal committee. That was a lot of info for me to think about. But yeah, that was a very good summary. A couple of things. What were the main issues that the Florida Real Estate Appraisal Board 20 years ago was looking at and how might they be different today? The problems that we incurred at that time was one of a proliferation of trainee appraisers. Originally in Florida, uh, we did have the traditional supervisor trainee relationship where aspiring appraisers um, were gaining their experience working under the supervision of a certified uh, appraiser. Uh, the, the problem was is there was no limitation in Florida law as to how many individuals a supervisor could have under him as trainees. And we had individuals with anywhere from three to 150 trainees. Unfortunately, the people with 150 trainees were not really training. Uh, their trainees, um, there was one individual in particular in my county, Pinellas County, Florida, which is on the, the West Coast, had trainees from the Panhandle, Pensacola, all the way down to the Florida Keys. He had trainees he had never met. Um, he had trainees that he sent out on assignments um, to appraise multi-million dollar homes on the Gulf of Mexico that uh, had held their license for about two weeks as a trainee. That was a major problem. The other problem that, that we had is, uh, this was of course the run-up to uh, you know, the, the, the boom time uh, 2004 through 2006, and there was um, a lot of um, interesting things that were happening with mortgage applications at that time. Um, it was not unusual for buyers to be receiving uh, large amounts of cash back at closing. Uh, there was flipping going on. Some of it was legal. Some of it was dubious. And we had a number of appraisers uh, that were failing to analyze the contract, uh, failing to report that a you know, buyer may be getting 5, 10, 
15, sometimes 20% of the purchase price back in cash at the closing, uh, failing to report the sales history of the property. So at least the client and the intended user would know that you know the property six months ago sold for $200,000 and now it's being sold for $400,000. But at the very least, the client needs to know the sales history of the subject property for the last three years. Appraisers, in a number of cases, were simply reporting the sales price and there was no analysis of the transaction. And as a result, in, in many cases, they overvalued the subject property. So when you had all those appraisals that were happening that kind of were part of the housing bubble, what happened to those appraisers? Did they stay in the industry or was there kind of a turnover in appraisers after the financial crisis? We listened to the circumstances of each and every case. We suspended a number of licenses. We revoked a number of licenses. Um, um, some of the appraisers are still practicing. Um, we felt that they could be rehabilitated either through education um, it, it was common that part of the sentence for individuals that uh, we believe you know, made an honest mistake or needed some guidance, we would have them attend appraisal board meetings as part of their discipline. Uh, we refer to that as appraiser jail. You have to come and sit through a, an eight-hour real estate appraisal board meeting and watch um, what offenses other appraisers committed and how it affected their license and how it affected other people involved in the transaction. And uh, in a lot of cases, it really opened their eyes as to they had to be much more careful in their practice. And they uh, they modified the way they did business and, and conducted their appraisals. And in terms of the first problem that you mentioned with the training situation, so, I mean, we're going to jump later on to talk about appraiser standards, but the general idea that an appraiser needs to have a two-year apprenticeship before becoming an appraiser. And so were these people, like the, the appraiser with the 300 trainees, you know, across the Florida panhandle, were those counting as apprenticeships at the time? Yes, they were. And has that issue been addressed in Florida or not really? Yes, it, it was addressed. Uh, one of the, the things that, that we did when I was on the appraisal board is we recognized it as being a problem. And we encouraged Florida realtors at that time to get involved in um, seeking some legislation to allow the board to limit the number of trainees that a supervisor um, could take care of. Uh, also, uh, there was a, a professional organization, the Appraisal Institute, that got involved with that. And at that time, the National Association of Independent Fee Appraisers and the American Society of Appraisers. Those three groups worked together along with a member of the Florida Real Estate Appraisal Board to write some legislation. Florida Realtors found sponsors in Florida's House and Senate and uh, were, were able to pass those amendments and have them signed into law. And while the, the statute doesn't actually limit the number of trainees, the Florida Real Estate Appraisal Board was able to adopt rules to limit the number of trainees and to impose some specific training requirements on the supervisor and require some proximity between the supervisor and the trainee. The downside was is that it 
significantly reduced the number of trainees in the state of Florida, significantly reduced the license income that the appraisal board got from those trainees. And in fact, we had, I'd say, hundreds of disgruntled trainees that would descend on a real estate appraisal board meetings. What you're talking about gets to one of the two biggest issues in appraisals, recruiting and retaining new appraisers. I want to table that for a second. Let's talk about the other big issue, charges of racial bias in appraisals. HousingWire has extensively chronicled over the past 12 months, charges of bias, largely anecdotal, lodged against real estate appraisers. I don't know what to think of these. On the one hand, there's not strong evidence I've seen that the racism that ails housing is caused by the solitary real estate appraiser. Plus, there seems a financial incentives to scapegoat the appraiser from companies that sell automated home pricing models. On the other hand, sources I talked to, including multiple Black appraisers like Myra Lillard in Indianapolis, say racial bias in appraisal really is rampant. Plus, there's the fact that appraisers are predominantly old white men. So I see a lot of scattered evidence that neither adds up to a cohesive takeaway paragraph in a story I write, or more importantly, a firm grip on how appraisers contribute to racial bias in home valuations. What do you think is real in these racial bias allegations? That is the $60,000 question. What is real? First off, um, with the people, the articles that you cite, anecdotal or not, what these people experienced is real. They didn't make it up. The allegations are extremely serious. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with the allegations is that, and again, I, I think in terms of being a former regulator, the problems with the allegations is um, no one has seen the appraisal reports. You know, We'd like to see the appraisal reports and let a professional, let a reviewer uh, take a look at the appraisal reports and determine first off whether or not the the appraisal was completed according to standards and whether or not there are indications and someone familiar with the market area could make this determination, whether or not there are indications that there was a bias towards a, a value in one direction or another. Regardless of that, the profession, and I'm talking everywhere from the National Association of Realtors, their Real Property Valuation Committee, the Appraisal Institute, the American Society of Appraisers, the Appraisal Foundation, everyone is taking this seriously. Yes, there are people within our profession that are sloughing it off um, and are saying we're simply you know, data analysts, we gather the data, we analyze it, we, we report what we find. Uh, yes, there are people like that. But the profession, the organized real property appraisal profession is taking the allegations very seriously. Obviously, the administration is taking the allegations seriously. Otherwise, they would not have convened the PAVE task force, the um, property appraisal valuation equity uh, task force to make recommendations with respect to appraiser qualifications and appraisal standards and appraisal methodology. So, and I would say the other thing is, is 
And I won't get into if you brought up something I hadn't heard about, but it seems like a conspiracy on the part of ABM providers to lay it all on appraisers. Wow. Um, I I see the um, clearly there are inequities, and we have differences in neighborhoods. We have vestiges of um, of federal policies and private policies with respect to lending, which continue to affect communities today. Um, and there are racial and religious and ethnic groups that reside in areas because of policies that were enacted and in place a long, long time ago and have long since been abandoned, but we still have after effects. And the fact that we're we appraisers, we happen to be human beings, but there are ways for bias to creep in and to affect uh, folks. That's one of the reasons I jokingly started um, this interview, when you mentioned my name, Francois Gregoire, I mentioned I don't speak French because simple fact that my name is Francois Gregoire, people would assume something I'm not seeing me about my nationality right. uh, and uh, about you know, where I was born, what language I speak or what languages I speak. And the fact is, is that uh, you know sometimes uh, we tend to stereotype. And this is one of the earliest things that I learned um, about when I started in real estate. Every single appraiser in the United States, whether they're a trainee appraiser, a licensed appraiser, certified residential or certified general appraiser, is required to take every two years a seven-hour course on the uniform standards of professional appraisal practice. They have to take an update course on those appraisal standards. Mm -hmm. The course that has just been released uh, for 2022-2023, out of the seven hours, at least two hours is devoted towards fair housing and bias. Is that the first time that there's been a component, a fair housing component? There has been a component um, because the, the, the Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice has an ethics rule with, which recognizes and prohibits a bias on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, country of national origin, receiving supplementary income, and so on. But I can't remember any significant time ever being devoted to that. In this course uh, that we've got coming up, two hours is going to be devoted specifically towards fair housing, which I think is a great move and something that is sorely needed. Yeah, there's going to be appraisers that are going to uh, not be happy about it. But not only will it help educate appraisers, it, it may change the behavior of a couple or at least have them examine why they're making a, a certain decision or why they're making a, a judgment when they're completing an appraisal. And then it may help some appraisers um, you know, stay out of trouble too. And, and as a result, it's going to build public trust in the real estate appraisal profession. What is new now besides the news reports is, as you mentioned, that there is interest in the federal government beyond kind of the apparatus that was set up in the late 1980s to kind of review the work of appraisers and gauge the work of appraisers. Specifically, the Housing and Urban Development convened a task force in July that you just mentioned, I think it's called the PAVE Task Force. And so this PAVE Task Force is taking a look at the appraiser industry, 
taking a look at recommendations that they might have to root out some of the allegations of bias uh, from the industry. What do you see coming out of this task force? And what do you maybe see coming out of the Biden administration more generally that could change the home appraisal industry? I was able to participate in the, the second public meeting. They had the PAVE task force had an industry listening session, and that was back in October. Um, one of um, our being uh, organized appraisers, one of our beefs at the beginning of this is that there was a lot of airing of grievances on the part of uh, interested parties, stakeholders, but no appraisers were consulted. You know, the first task force and, meeting. And who were these, sorry to interrupt, but who were these stakeholders that were airing? Um, stakeholders that I remember seeing, in addition to the Department of Housing and Urban Development, National Fair Housing Alliance, was the Urban Institute, NAACP, and there was a, a, a couple of other groups. Plus, the, uh, the, there, there was references made towards the newspaper and television stories alleging bias in residential real property appraisal. So there's a lot of airing of grievances, but no interest and in, in no appraisers were, were actually consulted. No appraisers at the first panel. Uh, not that I can remember. There may have been uh, one appraiser that is affiliated with a, a, a New York-based mortgage company. Mm. Uh, I, don't be- I don't believe that that individual was involved in that. Uh, but the second one actually was an invitation. And again, it, at the insistence of the profession, and I know that the National Association of Realtors worked too, uh, to include appraisers. And I was invited to participate in that. Um, not only to listen, but also participate in uh, breakout groups. And um, there was um, five items that that particular meeting uh, focused on. Policy guidance and regulations. uh, And that would, of course, relate towards regulation of of real estate appraisers. Enforcement and compliance, which would be states. And I think also HUD, because they handle the fair housing complaints. Advancing equity and increasing opportunities in the appraiser workforce, which is something that, as you know, both the National Association of Realtors and the Appraisal Foundation is working on. Um, Reconsideration of value uh, or the ROV process, um, you know, how to deal with appraisals that uh, may fall short of either a contract price or in the case of a refinance with the borrower believes their their property is worth. And then also automated valuation models and alternative property valuations. So I think what what I found encouraging, first of all, is the PAVE task force was interested in hearing from appraisers. And there was a wide variety of stakeholders, appraisers, appraisal management companies, appraisal organizations, um, and and also other stakeholders, uh, AVM providers too that participated in this. And I think that one of the most important things is going to be increasing opportunities in the appraiser workforce. Um, And that is what the National Association of Realtors has concentrated on um, with a special work group over 2021. We had a work group in 2020 uh, that was created mainly in response to the newspaper and television stories alleging discrimination. 
Um, and what that work group asked for was data. What I talked about before, we got the allegations. Let's see something so we can find out you know, what in the world is going on here. Uh, the reality is, is the data uh, is held closely by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Uh, Freddie Mac has given us a peek at their results from analyzing their data. So what but data they, does Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have that you guys specifically want? What do they they've have? Got, they've got the appraisal. They've got the appraisal reports. Uh, they've got the contract prices. They've got the terms of the contracts. Uh, they've got the information about the size, age, quality, and condition of the subject property and the comparable sales. They have the final opinion of value. And they know what the property, you know, if it was a, a sale, they know what it closed at. Um, in the case of a refinance, they know what the amount of the loan was. Uh, we can wish all we want. I don't think we're going to see that data. So why aren't so, they? Why aren't they going forward with it? Have they? Have they explained to you why they're not showing this data that that may be helpful in dealing with the very issues we're discussing today? I think that Freddie Mac has has just released a preliminary result from their study of their data. Uh, but for their reasons, Matt, I'm not going to guess. You have you have them on a podcast, okay? <laughs> Good, <laughs> idea. Just... Good idea. <laughs> but NAR, over the past year, we decided to work on something where we could hopefully see some results and actually make a change. And we worked on um, diversifying our profession. You know, like I told you, I'm a second-generation real estate appraiser. The one thing I haven't seen in all of the surveys of appraisers is how many second and third generation appraisers there are. I'll bet you you'll find a fairly high percentage, particularly when in comparison with other professions. It's no secret that we're largely male, overwhelmingly male, we're overwhelmingly uh, over age 55, and we're overwhelmingly white. Well, I, I like to think that you know, even... Given that, I can I can work to be as independent, objective, and impartial as I possibly can. The perception to the public is that maybe we we think monolithically. Maybe we all tend to think alike. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I can understand that perception. And it would be a heck of a lot better if our profession, the appraisal profession, included younger people. Um, um, more than just males, a higher percentage of non-males, mm -hmm. and more individuals that don't happen to be white, like me. We tried to examine, um, and I, I think it's pretty well recognized, that the major impediment towards new people entering the profession is the supervisor trainee system. Yeah. Um, and you know, in my mind, it wasn't designed to be an impediment. It's just the way it has evolved. Um, the, let's, let's actually, let's hold that thought for yeah. a second. Okay. I think I want to fully discuss the supervisory training thing. Okay. Um, one, one thing before we go to it though, I did want to mention, so you have this first meeting, the appraisers aren't there. You have the second meeting and it sounds like the National Association of Realtors gets involved. And as you said, during your intro, you're a part of you know the ballot property and valuation committee of the National Association of Realtors. So from my point of view, from the little I know, the Appraisal Institute, you know, trade groups representing appraisers, 
they're not very powerful in Washington. They don't have a lot of clout in Washington. The NAR does. The NAR spends more money than any other lobbying group in the country. They've been around for over 100 years. They've forcefully advocated for the real estate agent at a time when, you know, other sales brokers and other professions are being displaced. So NAR, from what I know, and we can argue about this, but, you know, they're pretty powerful. So do the appraisers basically need NAR to kind of back you guys up in order to get your voice there? Or how does that kind of work? I mean, how important are there are is the NAR for you guys? Um, I'll put it this way, Matt, is that um, I have been, since I've been an appraiser, a member of a, a an appraiser professional association. Um, at one time, I was a candidate member for the old Society of Real Estate Appraisers, which has since merged with and become the Appraisal Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, I belonged to an organization called the National Association of Independent Fee Appraisers, which has now merged with and become the American Society of Appraisers. And okay. I do hold an appraiser designation with the uh, the ASA. Um, but when I want to get things done, um, I work within my local association, my state association, and the National Association of Realtors. I, I like hanging out with appraisers, but um, I like to get things done. And the way to get it done is the National Association of Realtors. Our problem within the National Association of Realtors is that we're a minuscule group of people. Um, they've, you know, a million five, a million six, you know, there's a huge number of realtors. We've got, uh, the last time that we actually were able to hazard a guess, about 20 to 22,000 appraisers that are members of the National Association of Realtors. And we're not even sure how many of those are appraiser exclusive or whether they are appraisers that also practice as real estate brokers. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. NAR is the, the big dog. Um, but just because we appraisers think something is a good idea and is right, our first task is to convince the National Association of Realtors that it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's now, I know I had interrupted you a second ago, so let's maybe finish with talking about appraisal standards. And it's an issue that honestly sometimes trips me up. So we can return here to what you were talking about with the training requirements. But let me ask you a two-part question here that will probably require a long answer from you. And and, that, and that's my fault here. But who... Uh, sets standards for being a residential real estate appraiser in the U.S.? That's the first part of the question. And the second part of the question is, what are those standards? Okay, that's a a good question. Uh, Originally, there was no standards except those that were imposed by professional appraisal organization. Okay. When the Financial Institutions Reform Recovery Enforcement Act was signed into law in 1989, and I'll, because that's a mouthful, I'll refer to that as FIREA. FIREA, identified the Appraiser Qualifications Board of the Appraisal Foundation as the source for appraiser qualifications. FIREA also recognized the Appraisal Standards Board as the source of 
standards for real estate appraisals or that are completed in the United States. And states were required to create some type of appraiser uh, regulatory system within their state to ensure that all appraisers that were licensed and certified met at least the minimum standards specified or minimum qualifications specified by the Appraiser Qualifications Board of the Appraisal Foundation. The minimum qualifications for a trainee specified by the Appraiser Qualifications Board is a 75-hour course and taking an examination. Um, And then, of course, you've got to meet the, the state licensing requirements, which vary from state to state. Could be more education, could include a background check, um, and, and mm-hmm. so on. To become a licensed appraiser, which allows an individual to appraise non-complex uh, residential properties. And I, I believe the non-complex is also with a, a, a transaction value of less than, I think it's a million dollars. Don't quote me on that. Is 150 hours of education. And that education is specified by the Appraiser Qualifications Board. And 1,000 hours of supervised experience that is accumulated over a period of not less than six months. To be a certified residential appraiser, uh, it takes 200 hours of AQB specified education. The prospective appraiser must have at least a bachelor's degree or an AA degree in identifying certain majors, or they have equivalent education. But the, the real rub is 200 hours, a BA or an AA in a specific uh, discipline, and 1,500 hours of supervised experience accumulated over no less than 12 months. So the experience, the way that appraisers traditionally get their experience is by working as a trainee under a supervisor. The problem with this arrangement is finding a supervisor because in every state where they have a supervisor trainee relationship, the supervisor is hundred percent fully responsible for the work of the trainee. If the trainee messes up, the supervisor is subject to discipline by their state and in fact could lose their license. So they have not only the responsibility of training that individual, showing them the right way to do things. If that trainee makes a mistake and the supervisor doesn't catch it, uh, they're subject to discipline. Does that the supervisor way, need to pay the trainee during this time? Like, how does that labor relationship? That work? is a contract arrangement between the supervisor and the trainee. Okay. Uh, in truth, most trainees expect to be paid. They they don't expect to be working for free uh, for that six months, twelve months, two years, whatever it takes. Um, they expect to be paid and very few expect to pay for their training. Um, the, the trainee could pay the supervisor for, for training. Um, I don't think that you'd find an awful lot of them that are either in a position to pay or willing to pay for their training. Part of the problem, in addition to the reality of finding someone that's willing to be responsible for your work, no matter how crummy it is, um, is that the quality of the training that these people get varies from being exemplary to being criminal. In, in a lot of cases, the, the, the supervisor uh, doesn't understand the real estate appraisal profession, doesn't understand standards, 
doesn't understand proper reporting format, uh, could be biased, could be discriminatory, could be acting illegally, and they teach all that to the trainee. And the supervisor can be anyone who's a licensed appraiser. Correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, they got to be certified to be a supervisor. They have to be a certified residential or certified general appraiser. Okay. And um, so the AQB has developed this uh, practical applications for real estate appraisal. Uh, they refer to it as PARIA, which is a simulated training program. I, I really don't know what it is, Matt. Um, <laughs> I, I really, but some type of virtual training. Okay. Um, which has an awful lot of promise. Mm. In fact, the Appraiser Qualification Board has adopted it. And in fact, will allow a trainee to get 100% of their experience through practical applications of real estate appraisal. They don't ever have to actually walk into a house, measure a house, take pictures. They can do it all virtually. But uh, in order for Perea to work, you first have to have somebody willing to develop it. And the cost is very high. And you have to have states adopt it and accept that as experience. All states accept experience that is gained under a supervisor, but not all states have changed their regulations or have a state licensing law that actually permits Perea to be accepted. So the appraisal foundation, they can say, look, this simulated thing, this is the law of the land. Each state has to approve it. What the appraisal foundation and the appraiser qualifications board do are to propose minimum standards. Mm. And states are free to uh, build upon those minimums. For instance, in Florida, to be a trainee, rather than 75 hours of education, Florida requires 100 hours of education for a trainee. It kind of answers both what the qualifications are and the obvious follow-up question, how are those standards are changing? So you've identified key areas where standards perhaps are changing with the agreement of state legislatures you know, having more of the simulated stuff, having the practicum, having, you know, test appraisals. So it does seem like, you know, there are very specific ways in which you're trying to encourage other people that are appraisers or trying to encourage more people to enter into the profession through, but maybe more sensical standards, maybe less sort of onerous, dreary, cumbersome standards. So Let's maybe finish the podcast with this, because I think that what you just explained kind of gets into something that we've been teasing throughout, but maybe haven't totally tackled head on. And that's what else can be done to sort of get more people into the appraisal industry. I think you mentioned earlier, there's only like 20,000 or so appraisers that are part of NAR. Obviously, there are more appraisers than that, but there's not a lot more. So any thoughts you have as to how to get more people to become real estate appraisers. And again, this is something that we've all been struggling with. It's hard to attract people to a profession that is under attack almost yeah. daily, uh, that's, in the, that's in the news, uh, that is the subject of a presidential task force. Um, uh, but I'm bullish on the profession. I think that it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's awesome the way the real estate business is awesome. And that is, as an, uh, an individual, you can operate your own business. Uh, and I think part of it is, is we in the profession have to do a better job of conveying 
the benefits of, of being a, a real estate appraiser and an independent business person or, or operating as an independent business or even as an employee. Part of the problem is, is young people that are graduating from school, are graduating from a, you know, college um, uh, with a, a finance or a real estate degree or something, they can be offered a job in corporate America doing acquisitions or doing real estate management or doing something other than appraising and probably, you know, have a salary of just south of, well, say, seventy to $90,000 a year, maybe more. Um, it's going to be hard to convince someone with a newly minted bachelor's degree to come and become an appraiser, put in another year at working as an apprentice, and maybe in your first year, maybe earn forty, fifty thousand dollars mm-hmm. yeah um part of that is i think that ner is going to be working on this i know that the foundation is working on this and that is to get some scholarships for folks start to uh, get some scholarships to help them pay for their perea training help them pay for their practicum course training get them started with membership in a professional organization and help them get through their first year in business. Um, you know, help defray some of these costs. We're going to have to start to encourage some of the the best and the brightest by having corporate America, um, you know, kick in a little bit to help us diversify the profession. Anything else you wanted to discuss? No, I, I essentially I, I did want. What I planned to end with Matt was that I am I'm bullish on the profession. I'm excited. Um, about the profession. I'm excited about the way the profession is responding to these challenges. Um, I think that they're they're doing the right thing, the way they're they're responding to these challenges. And um, I, I can't wait uh, to see what's around the corner and to, you know, to see how we have dealt with it. And I'll really be encouraged when we start to see some fresh faces enter the profession. Frank Gregoire, thank you so much for your time here and appearing on this podcast. You bet, Matt. Thank you. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingware.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great weekend. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk each and every day. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. We'll see you back here on Monday.